0: Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new year, new episode, new us of Not If I Reboot You First. It's a podcast where we take popular properties and reboot them before Hollywood has a chance to. Which is a really fancy way of saying that we're basically brainstorming fan fiction. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Tanner. Lindsay, how are your holidays?
1: Pretty good. Rather low-key. Uh, we actually got a, um, a real Christmas tree. Alive
0: Christmas tree. Well, and how did that work out for you?
1: So far, so good. Dad got it from Ikea, so I'm guessing that the Swedes actually, you know, sprayed it down.
0: Ikea has like a Christmas tree
1: yeah. place? Yeah. They sell Christmas trees.
0: See, with the, all the Ikea, assemble it yourself, you would think that they'd exclusively sell the fake ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then have the whole blowout thing so that
1: men like my dad can lose their fucking minds.
0: <laughs> they sent they sent us the wrong color Christmas tree
1: <laughs> that happened to dad twice
0: <laughs>
1: not with Christmas trees but with Ikea furniture he picked up the wrong color stuff
0: I think you described that on one of the early episodes of this <laughs> yeah
1: because <laughs> dad was about ready to explode that day <laughs>
0: oh, no. I bought a spruce but they sent me instructions for a few yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah i got hunter boots which are like these really nice rubber boots that all of the girls in ottawa are wearing okay yeah they're also they got like a royal warrant from the from buckingham palace so like the royal family wears them when they're out in the moors of scotland
0: the queen's boots
1: yes they're the queen she's boots. going fox
0: hunting yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I can't wait to use them once it actually gets fucking warm enough to do that.
0: Yesterday, and you can go fox hunting.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll totally go fox hunting.
0: Well, you it won't be like for food or for sport. You'll be catching a single fox, and then you're like, now I'm going to raise you.
1: <laughs> well, okay, so once we had finished up Christmas, Dad decided that instead of like leaving out the Christmas tree to be picked up and mulched, um, we were just going to put it into the backyard uh, it's now going to be a home for like birds and squirrels and all that. And then eventually when it rots, we're going to put it into the garden. And it's free compost, basically.
0: It's free compost. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and with all of the animals that will potentially come there, maybe we'll find an urban fox.
0: Perhaps. Yeah. It can make weird noises at you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, Elvis wasn't lying when he was singing about how weird foxes sound.
0: Well, it's like they assert their dominance over each other by just kind of staring at each other and making noises. <laughs> this is a video of two, and like one of them had like they're just looking at each other and they're going, <laughs> and then one of them just takes its paw and like closes the other one's <laughs> mouth. <laughs>
1: But in any case, we'll definitely attract the, a raccoon or two, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then Dad will turn into Elmer Fudd <laughs> for raccoons. Yeah,
0: they they show up and they look like beggars. <laughs> they, they have their tiny hands. They're like,
1: please, maybe have some garbage. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyway, how
0: was your Christmas? My Christmas was good. I got to go visit the family. My parents finally followed through on their promise to not get me as many gifts, which I appreciate. Because <laughs> for the, I'm an only child and they spoil me. And for the longest time, I've been saying, please don't get me as much because I'll try and get you guys stuff. And then I, I, I try and go beyond your lists of three items combined. <laughs> And then I'll, I'll manage to find something. And they'll be like, oh, Tanner, this is so great. Yay. And with their three gifts. And then I'm sitting there surrounded by piles and piles of stuff. And I'm like, can you not? Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's embarrassing.
1: That was the benefit of having a younger sibling because we'd had to share stuff.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I finally, I finally got a small Christmas and it was nice. I can actually remember everything. Well, not anymore, just because I can't remember anything over a few days. Yeah. But for the time being, I could remember everything that the people had given me.
1: Yeah, that's good. And
0: Then I spent a whole bunch of money on books for Boxing Day.
1: Yeah, I heard.
0: My goal is to have just a cubic meter of children's lit. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I might have to start sending you, like, banker's boxes and all that to put your stuff in to better preserve it.
0: Oh, I mean, I have long boxes Okay. that at some point I'm going to be getting rid of a whole bunch of back issues of comics, so I don't need to fill them with that.
1: Yeah. Well, starting to get into this whole archiving thing, I've learned about, like, there's actual boxes that are, like, pH neutral or all sorts of stuff that are meant to, like, help preserve paper stuff because paper is naturally acidic. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how those long boxes are made. Hopefully they're mostly pH neutral because dear god that paper that it's made on it tends to be cheap.
0: Oh I would assume so like yeah. with comic books they the reason that old comic books are so valuable is because if you have one that happened to be well preserved yeah, it's a miracle. And then people act like they can make a fortune off comic books today and it's oh, like oh, good luck with that. We're looking directly
1: at you Marvel and DC in the variant comics. Uh,
0: Well, uh, variant comics and, like, number ones and uh, comics with errors, they might be valuable. Yeah. But it is a thing of, like, that's so long down the line.
1: Like, it's uh, the mothers of the world and the fathers of the world need to throw out a whole bunch of those comics so that the survivors can become valuable. Mm-hmm. Like the reason why that first issue of Superman sold for over a million dollars is because there's like maybe three left
0: yeah I have I have an issue of Miss Marvel number five with Kamala Khan yeah where there's an error in the printing where on the inside it says part four of five even though it's part five of five because yeah. it's issue number five And so it's like I might be able to get a slightly higher price for that because that's like a printer error yeah and people love that stuff
1: and she's a fairly popular character too so they're probably more willing to shell out money for it than over a more obscure character
0: yeah but it's also like see marvel marvel heard like this is not like an official report i think i think they just overheard in like a bathroom stall someone <laughs> saying oh yes number 1 sell for money like oh really then what if every comic we put out is a new number 1 ah <sighs> Look, this
1: is all a preamble for the day that we finally reboot co- uh, Marvel Comics.
0: Well, we can just reboot the entire comics medium, too. <laughs> uh, I do love that Unbeatable Squirrel Girl in their second number one of the year. On the front cover, it says, Our second number one of the year? What's up with that? Uh, <laughs> look, a- anyways. Yeah, so anyway, we're going to talk do you even about remember? Some, uh, do you even remember what your hint was from last time this is like two weeks ago
1: yeah so anyway today we're gonna be talking about some miserable spies and the cold war
0: are they gonna come in from the cold yeah okay yeah i was like i only i only know two i know like three spy things that you like (laughs) (laughs)
1: I actually have, like, a shelf of espionage novels.
0: Oh, no, I know you have a shelf. It's just I can only keep track of the big three. Yeah. There's um, The Sweet Life of the Grand Budapest Hotel Man. There's The Cold Boy. (laughs) And there's The Butcher, The Baker, and The Candlestick Maker.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Lindsay likes her spy novels. Um... John LeCarré and Ellen First in particular. Um, so, yeah, this is actually going to be a reboot of, or of, I guess a new adaptation of uh, LeCarré's third book and the one that really, like, launched his career, at, like, really made him into a, a big-name author. Like, the authors that get, like, their name big print on the top of the novel, Um, Like a Stephen
0: King book, where you're pretty sure half his books are just titled Stephen King. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, so this one is The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. It was first published in 1963. I have my copyright beside me, but I am that nerd today.
0: I mean, at least you have, like, notes and references.
1: (laughs) And I know this book pretty well, and I've seen the movie twice. Yeah, first published in 1963. It was turned into a movie in 1965 that starred uh, Sir Richard Burton uh, before he really swan-dived into the alcoholism. (laughs) He had also just married Elizabeth Taylor, so, yeah. (laughs) So, the reason why I wanted to cover this, aside from the fact that this is now, like... Your brand? Yeah. My brand... I was just
0: checking... I was checking your our episodes, and the only two that don't have anything to do with, like, history from you are Sailor Moon and Once Upon a Time. And even Once Upon a Time is to- towing the line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, history nerd, that's all you need to know.
0: You really need, do need to make your own spy fiction podcast.
1: Probably, along with, like, just a general history podcast. Something I, I could probably do with, like, Ryan. Yeah yeah so anyway the the one and only film adaptation so far, the Spy who came in for the Cold was done over fifty years ago. so it's about time that there should be a reboot that Hollywood that some studio exec is bored while on vacation in Hawaii and is reading the Spy who came in for the Cold and it's like, Hey, this would make a great movie, and then Google's that there's already been a movie, but it's like yeah, fifty years ago. Let's do this.
0: And but it would be great Oscar bait.
1: Yeah, it is automatic Oscar bait, and there is possibly an adaptation coming down the pipeline. Um, but this might be a mini series by. Okay, so two years ago, Tom Hiddleston was in with Elizabeth Debicki and um, Hugh Laurie were in an adaptation of a later Lecaray book called The Night Manager. And that one is about like international arms dealing. Uh, the book is set in the it was like written in the nineties, so it's set in the nineties, and it's dealing uh, with a lot of more nineties ish
0: stuff. But like, lots of nineties pop culture references. A little bit. Does he listen to and, Spice Girls?
1: Well, also like they're focusing more on the arms trade down in like South America. But the um, the miniseries I was it done with AMC. I think it was done with done with AMC. It's also on uh, Amazon Prime. So anyway. They updated the setting to uh, more dealing with the Middle East and the fallout from the Arab Spring and all that, which is cool because basically the whole thing with the international arm weapons deal, dealing stuff like same shit, different location, basically. Yeah. Um, another good thing to watch about that, um, and one of the only Nicolas Cage movies that I like, Lord of War. It is so good.
0: Did you ever see War Dogs?
1: I don't think I've seen War Dogs yet.
0: It's like the same idea, but it's made for shitty teens. <laughs> I mean, it's Miles Teller and Jonah Hill. Yeah. And I know they've branched out into more serious fare, but also it's... Jonah Hill! Like. I don't want to say it's the super bad of arms-dealing movies. <laughs> What's like one step removed from Superbad? Yeah like that it, brand.
1: It's in their wheelhouse. <laughs> so anyway, I I will summarize the plot because um actually this book isn't that long. It's uh my copy's two hundred and fourteen pages.
0: How big is the print though?
1: Uh I'd say a pretty standard size, twelve times new Roman, double spaced.
0: Okay. Or maybe not uh, double
1: space, probably more of like uh, inch and a half inch or like but
0: like normal book font yeah normal book font i did i can't remember which book it was but i spotted a book i was interested in at the secondhand store during boxing day yeah and it, it was a large print book so the book itself was pretty enormous yeah. but also all the words were also very enormous yeah
1: well it's meant for people with eye problems so oh well, no
0: yeah i get yeah. that because i yeah. I'd never actually seen a large print book yeah. because i don't see i don't need to seek them out at this point
1: yeah <laughs> yeah, don't have to seek them out yet. <laughs> I think I might be in that category sooner than you.
0: I mean, you also, you do a lot of audiobooks, so... Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm currently listening to two, one of which is a tome.
0: <laughs> and I, last night, I listened to a whole bunch of stuff on Time and a Half, so I could bring my number of podcasts from, like, 25 to 8.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, well... The good thing about Transit is that you can just, like, blast through so many podcasts. Uh-huh. So, anyway, uh, it's not a long book. Uh, I think some fast readers like you, Tanner, could probably finish this in, like, a day.
0: I need to pick up a book. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read more this year.
1: Yeah, I'm going to try and get at least, like, 12 in this year. At least have one a month.
0: I'm looking at my bookshelf, and every shelf has books in front of books and stacked books books on books on books. I've got stuff off to the side that I couldn't fit on my shelf.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I, okay. So the problem with my closet door is that it won't close. And because of the way that the house is settled, we're on a bit of an angle. So it's always opening. (laughs) So I've got a stack of books in front of the door to keep it closed. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, plot The plot is actually both simple and very intricate. Yeah. uh, It's one of the... Look, the thing about John le Carré is that you need to pay attention. You're probably going to want to take notes.
0: Is this one of those things, like, you read it, and you're like, oh, okay, and then the next day you're doing dishes and casually thinking about it, and you break a plate, you're like, oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, it's kind of like that. And, like, the most recent adaptation of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, it's one of those movies where you've got to watch it about three or four times and have a notebook beside you to sort of get what's going on. That's the same with uh, the is book, Tinky,
0: Is Tinky Taylor a Jean-Luc Array as well?
1: Yeah. Uh, that That's his biggest name one. Um, it was also the start of what's called The Smiley Quartet, because he kind of has a universe. Um,
0: the Jean-Luc cinematic universe.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of, because um, his first book, I was it um of Quality? No, it was uh, Call for the Dead, and that's where he introduced his most famous character, uh, George Smiley. Okay, so <laughs> his books were kind of like a backlash against James Bond uh-huh. because, okay, by the time that specifically uh, Tinker Taylor came out, like Bond had been around for about a decade and it's starting to get a bit stale. and Lucray, who was born uh David Cornwall, uh, he took on the name Lucarray because he was still working with British intelligence when he started writing. So they're like, okay, you can like publish stuff, but you gotta use a pseudonym,
0: like duh. Did he ever get in trouble for being, like, too real? Like, someone someone from British intelligence is reading the books and they're like, you can't publish this because this is exactly what happened.
1: He's never said, but he's got a really good track record about predicting, like, big stuff before it happens. <laughs>
0: Like um, what? What if he wrote a book and then someone's reading and is like, "Hey, that's actually a good idea. Let's do this."
1: I wouldn't be surprised if that does happen, or if that had happened. So anyway, uh, he he started writing because he was like, "Yeah, James Bond is full of shit and probably would have been arrested and executed, like, in the first book, <laughs> pretty much."
0: James Bond's not a regular spy. He's a super spy.
1: Yeah. James Bond is pretty much like an actual superhero. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, George Smiley, he's notable for being like a very realistic representation of what spy work is actually like. And he's also a rather dumpy looking guy. Very normal. Very plain. He's also a fucking nerd. (laughs) He is like a history and literature nerd, specializes in 16th century German literature, that sort of stuff. He would have been a professor had he not been recruited by MI6, basically. Yeah,
0: I was about to say that.
1: Yeah. He is like, (laughs) imagine if one of your English profs had been a spy. Yeah, it's hard to imagine, but yeah. Yeah,
0: no, I don't think any of them could pass the snuff.
1: Yeah. But anyway, that's George Smiley. And in the very first book, there's another character introduced, uh, Hans Dieter Mundt, who is the bad guy for... Uh, the spy who came in from the cold, and Hans Dieter Dietermund is a piece of fucking
0: shit. <laughs> really? He's a German in war fiction who's a bad guy? Shocking.
1: Yeah, I know. Um, Wait,
0: is, you said this was Cold War? Yeah, Cold War, but... Well, it's still not super shocking, I guess.
1: Okay, let's see. Where does Control talk about Munt's backstory? It's, like, fairly early on. <laughs> um... So control nodded understandingly. What do you know about Munt? He's a killer. He was here a year or two back with the East German steel mission. We had an advisor with them, Maston. Quite so. Munt was running an agent, the wife of an FO man. He killed her. He tried to kill George Smiley. And, of course, he shot the woman's husband. He's a very distasteful man. Ex-Hitler youth and all that kind of thing. Not at all the intellectual kind of communist. A practitioner of the Cold War.
0: He's a shitty communist.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, yeah.
0: Not he like dro- those other fun communists.
1: <laughs> yeah, the fun communist is Fiedler, who actually believes in the fucking cause. Munt is a goddamn wolf. Uh, so, anyway, the plot, the actual plot. getting away from george smiley who is only in here like maybe a couple pages in total he plays an important role but like he's not the main character
0: he's the colson of the yeah literary universe he's
1: an unwilling (laughs) colson uh because at this point um after munt tried to kill him smiley's like fuck this i'm out of here and then gets pulled into a murder mystery up at when it. he
0: thought he was out they pulled him back in yeah
1: literally because the entire point of *Tinker, taylor soldier spy is that they've realized that they got a fucking mole at the top and only smiley who is outside of the entire thing can fucking find this mole so anyway the main character in this one is alec lemus and he is An intelligence officer working at the East Berlin, or he's working in West Berlin, but he runs agents over in East Berlin. And, uh, one day he realizes that, oh, fuck, our covers are blown, we gotta, like, abort, abort, get out of here. The opening takes place at Checkpoint Charlie. Uh, it's one of the famous crossings in Berlin to get from east to west and west to east. And he's waiting for his guy, uh, Carl, to come over and, um... As he's watching Carl come over on a bike, Carl gets shot, just right in the middle of the street.
0: Carl. <laughs>
1: so yeah. That's
0: why you always wear a helmet, kid.
1: Lemus is like, well, I'm fucked, <laughs> and gets sent back to London. I mean, I to, feel like of course, the,
0: with the very little with the very little that you've told me of Smiley, Smiley was probably also like sitting in his like parlor. He just looks <laughs> up, it's like, oh, I am fucked. <laughs> Yeah. He has a sixth sense for knowing when things are about to go to shit.
1: And Smiley's only in this a few pages. But yeah, Lemus is the one who is like, oh god. So he gets flown back to London and has to talk to Control. Control is the guy in charge of MI6 in this world. Because the people- Isn't that also
0: the organization from Get Smart?
1: Well, that's because it's- Okay, I should clarify this. So- MI6 is actually the Secret Intelligence Service. It's called MI6 because back during World War II, that was kind of like its designation on org chart on organization charts.
0: What does the MI stand for? Uh, military intelligence. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So MI five. You know what I
0: thought it stood for. Huh? You know what I you I bet you know what I thought it stood for. <laughs> Mission yeah. Impossible.
1: Yeah. So MI5, uh they're counterintelligence, they're more focused on what's going inside of the UK. Uh, the Secret Intelligence Service, they're more focused on everything outside of uh, of the UK.
0: Are there any other numbers?
1: Um, I think so, but I don't know what they are. and It's probably good that I don't.
0: Uh, let's see. Uh, MI1 would be protecting the royal family, I imagine. <clears throat> MI2 would be the actual members of the government. Because... The government is not nearly as important as the royal family.
1: Yeah, like uh, I'm thinking on a military level it's probably like logistics and various other things. Yeah.
0: M I three is the sha are the shadow MIs <laughs> to replace the original MIs if they're compromised. <laughs> MI4 is the dogs. <laughs> um MI seven are just like the the uh the IT department. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they live in the basement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh Lemus gets recalled. He has to talking to you from control and basically Lemus is like, I'm out. I'm done. And control's like, wait, 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 wait. The guy who fucked you over, this monk guy, we need to take him out. So, um could you do us a favor? And then it's basically, like, you get an explanation on who Munt is, and then you hard cut to poor Lemus having to pretend to be, like, a fucking drunk and destroying his career. (laughs) And eventually getting fired, quote-unquote.
0: That's like you going to your boss and saying, hey, I want to put in my two weeks' notice, and then saying... Actually, we need you to burn down the store to catch a shoplifter so that we can fire you.
1: <laughs> well, the the thinking within the intelligence community, because this actually happens. Um, so, like, you know how in the world of, like, retail and business and all that, they're always kind of worried about disgruntled workers because they can fuck you over. Mm-hmm. Um So, on the retail level, it's mostly, like, someone causing a scene and destroying stuff or whatever. But if you're working in a corporate setting, it's maybe slipping some sensitive development stuff to a rival company? Yeah. Yeah, so in the spy world and in the military world, their equivalent is someone being basically, like, I am in a shit ton of trouble. I'm about to be fired. I got nothing to lose. Hey, Russia! You want all of the stuff I know?!
0: You just get all your important documents, and you make it rain off the top of a building. Yeah,
1: pretty much. But also, the enemy intelligence agencies—they're looking for people like that. They're looking for the people who like have a divorce or have issues with substance abuse, uh, whatever, like whatever weakness they can find. And they'll be like, "We can help you out." <laughs> Evil smile. If you give us all of this information.
0: Please come, come in from the cold with us. We will give you some tea and a sweater made of government secrets.
1: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Lemus basically destroys his career with, um, with the circus with control, and um, through Wait, a circus. Content. There's a
0: circus involved.
1: Well, they call. Okay, so the building they're in is over at Cambridge Circus. Now that's not the actual headquarters. Uh, past or present of uh, the secret intelligence service, but look, Ray. This is word of God. He he said that he was driving down uh, Cambridge Circus one day, and he sees one of the buildings there, and he's like, "That would be a great place for like a spy organization to have its headquarters."
0: Yeah, that's gonna be my spy organization's headquarters. Does circus mean something different in Britain?
1: <laughs> I think it just means like it's kind of circular. <laughs>
0: Okay, because I'm like, okay, so
1: there's Piccadilly <laughs> Circus and
0: You're 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 setting very different things because it's like this dramatic Cold War drama, but also they're undercover there's spies hiding in the circus. <laughs> I know. Maybe I was right for predicting that this was spy kids all along. <laughs> so uh... And then Lehman has to ruin his reputation with the circus. Like what does he do? Does he punch a clown? <laughs>
1: So, anyway, Lemus first gets a job at a kind of crappy factory that lasts all of two weeks. Unemployed again. And then he winds up at this weird little library that uh, (laughs) focuses on, um, like, psychic stuff.
0: Oh, boy, he went to a New Age crystal (laughs) shop.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and this is the early 60s, so this is before the actual hippies get in there.
0: Oh, okay, so... During Boxing Week, yeah. I was looking at used bookstores in Regina because I knew there was more than just the one I go, the dedicated used bookstore that I go to, and Value Village beside it. Yeah. So I wanted to see if I could find other stuff. And my mom's like, "Tanner, there's this really great bookstore, and it's all about diverse books, and you need to check it out." And I'm like, "Okay, do you remember what it's called?" And she's like, "We're she's trying to remember," and I'm like, trying to piece together what it might be based on my mom's context clues, and we finally <laughs> land on this title called Aware Bookstore, or no, it was like a Warehouse Books okay it's like aware and she's like yeah they're like they're culturally aware and stuff like that and so i look it up like mom this isn't about diverse i uh, being aware diversely this is being aware spiritually this is a new age bookstore and she's like are you sure like yeah here's their home page and there's all these like crystals and like incense like come in like and you don't even have to buy anything you can just come here for the good vibes
1: yeah there's a store like that over um i think it's the mcdonald bridge Like it's not that far from the Sa from the fucking Saudi embassy either. It's weird.
0: (laughs) And like, oh if if you're the kind of person who's into that, more power to you. If that's where you're getting your strength and your spiritual awareness, go for it because that's what works. It does not work for me and I should not go into a place like that. I would completely ruin all their chakras. Yeah. I I would walk in and all their you'd just hear glass shatter and it's the sound of their good vibes just (laughs) shriveling up. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, you say that about yourself. I'm probably worse.
0: <laughs> you you walk past the New Age store and all of the candles just get blown out. <laughs> you you'd try to walk in, just like use the washroom, and they're like, "You need to have an exorcism before you get in here." I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm not even like Rose from Pokemon World Tour United Levels of Shitty, but like. <laughs> <laughs> i would be like totally, what me
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah so <laughs> this fucking grizzled spy, and oh yeah part of lemus's backstory is like he's been around the block since fucking world war ii and he was part of the soe as well so yeah tough nut and he drinks a shit ton of whiskey and he's now at this kooky library
0: He just, like, downs a full mickey, or he downs a full flask of stuff. (laughs) He turns to the customer, like, Don't regard reading!
1: (laughs) Well, the important thing about this weird-ass library, before we even get over to Germany again, is he meets a young lady named Liz Gold. Now, in the movie, she was renamed Nancy Perry because of um, weird reasons. Reason number 1 was that Richard Burton was married for the fir- <laughs> for the first time to Elizabeth Taylor. So this is round number 1 of their relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and she wanted the role of Liz Gold, but okay, Liz Gold she's described as being kind of average looking. Kind of pretty but not like she's bordering on play. Okay. Now, Elizabeth Taylor like The woman is Cleopatra, basically. Or was Cleopatra. Like, could you imagine her playing Dowdy?
0: Uh, no, I guess not.
1: Yeah. So they got in a different actress, Claire Bloom. Now, the problem there that fucking pissed off Liz Taylor was that Richard Burton and Claire Bloom had once been an item. Oh, no. Yeah. So there was drama about that, and the director's like, well, I don't want the audience to confuse Liz Gold with Liz Taylor, so we're going to just switch her over to Nancy Perry. And then the second reason was, um, there's a bit of a theme about how anti-Semitism and racism still persists after World War
0: II. I was going to guess, his Gold sh- a shortened form of Goldman or something uh, like
1: that? No, her last name Goldstein? is just Gold, but she oh, okay. is... In the book, she is Jewish, yeah, um like she's part of the she's part of the Communist Party as well and um yeah, I know there's implications and all that, but like
0: whatever well, I, I would understand I can kind of understand how that would win a lot of Jewish people over after the world war because, it, like they were enemies of the Nazis, so yeah, they're going to be down with that. And it probably did not work out well for them, but definitely at the beginning, yeah, I can and understand. There's always been
1: unfortunate implications, but when you have a Jewish person who's also a communist, because there's been a long association, thanks to fucking um, yeah, all the way back to Marx actually, because his dad I want to say was Jewish.
0: Just stigmas for both groups getting smushed together, and just the whole... It's a whole mess with Russian Jewish people anyways. Yeah, and... Uh, so it's, oh yeah, a whole bunch of bad stuff happening. Yeah. But, like, I can understand how the Communist Party would have won over a lot of Jewish people.
1: Yeah, and, like, uh, one of the other guys in here, another important character, Fiedler, who's uh, month's rival within, like, their entire internal security system. I forget what it's called, and I really don't want to try and sound out that name, because you know it's going to be a very big compound German word.
0: Oh, send it to me. I want to try.
1: Uh, Bundesnachrichtendienst. Yeah, because I, for whatever reason, I tend to go for a Bavarian accent when I pronounce German
0: words. Just, like, text it to me. I'll see if I can try. Okay. Uh, The Buddhist Dentist Organization. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's the, uh... The Bundesnachrichtendienst. Bundesnachrichtendienst.
1: Yeah, something like that. Except said with a proper German accent.
0: Ach, Hans. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Ugh. German, why do I even try as much as I complain about French, particularly how they um how they count numbers, especially past sixty nine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know i know I know the jokes about that, but like trust me
0: no i'm I'm just thinking of I am thinking about the French counting system, how it's like two thirties, three twenties and nine, <laughs> three tens a twenty, and another twenty. <laughs>
1: You have to do actual math to count anything above 69. <laughs> it's like someone had a stroke at, when they were figuring out the French numbers.
0: What year is it? Well, it's 60 times 500 <laughs> minus 81.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, he meets Les Gould. She's a party secretary to the local communist party of Britain. And mm-hmm. they hit it off like, okay, yeah, there's a bit of a May-December thing going on because Lemus is about 50 and she's in her mid-20s. This is the early 60s. I can fly with it. Free love, man. Yeah. and
0: It's the new age. And
1: Crystals. besides, for the plants of control, they actually didn't need to start an actual relationship. All they needed to do was just
0: meet. And that's enough?
1: Yeah, that was enough for them. Mm. It was just like guilt by association sort of thing. So yeah, Man, they... that
0: kind of guilt by association stuff was wild back in the Cold War. Oh, yeah. I don't know how we managed to get out of that cuz it's like, "Oh yeah, you br- breathed the same air as a communist. Now you've been indoctrinated by them." Yeah.
1: So anyway, they have their relationship. Liam is actually has a bit of a sick episode for a while because I get the I guess the booze really got to him. Like, okay, you know the whole 27 Club thing? Um I actually heard a the theory that, like, by the time you hit about twenty-seven, your body it just starts being like, "No, you can't get this drunk again."
0: Oh no! So I only have like one good year left.
1: Yeah, you, no binge drinking after that. Okay. <laughs> or doing drugs or whatever, because yeah, your body start it. That is the slow decline into middle age.
0: So I'm o- I'm only reserving alcohol for special occasions yeah. now.
1: Yeah, you're not like me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you you have even less time than me for that. You're gonna have to start cutting down. Mind you, my mom has exactly three ounces of wine when she gets the chance.
1: Ah, nice.
0: And when it's when it's been a real tough day, she has four ounces.
1: Ooh. Scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> well, they also say that red wine is good for you, so there. Um
0: Well so- yeah, because it replenishes your blood.
1: <laughs> Us winos are all secretly vampires.
0: No, like, don't you remember, like, the the top Middle Ages scientists where it's like, if you sigh too much, you're losing blood. How do you replenish it? Well, you drink a lot of red wine. Yeah.
1: The Middle Ages were great. So, anyway, um, Lemus eventually gets fired from this job, too, after not showing up. And then that's when the actual plan starts kicking into high gear, uh, where he's told basically by control and Smiley that, okay, now you are gonna have to do something to get to like do a short stint in prison (laughs) it's just to seal the deal it's to make sure that these guys these east german recruiters are gonna be like coming to him like a fly like moths to a fucking flame
0: like flies to a piece of shit (laughs) and we need you to look as shitty as possible
1: (laughs) yeah so can i
0: ask i i do need to ask Does it take this long in the book for the actual plot to start, or has it just seemed that long because we keep getting caught up on the New Age stuff?
1: (laughs) Because we keep getting caught up on the New Age stuff. Remember, this book, at least my copy, 214 pages.
0: And we're on what, page 12?
1: No, I'd say we'd be about maybe just a little bit before Halfway.
0: Okay, no, that is still... Even if it's only a 200-page book, if it takes you 100 pages for the plot to start, I think you have pacing issues. Well,
1: actually, this is all part of the plot. Okay. Yeah, that's the thing about this book, is that it's the whole, like, build-up to getting to Germany, and then various stuff happens, and then the denou... Not even the denouement. The climax is actually fairly short. And actually, the stint in jail, like, it's, like, maybe a couple pages. So basically, what Lemus does is... He, he assaults a a grocery store clerk.
0: <laughs> why? They did nothing wrong. <laughs> why not? Why not insult like a politician or something at least?
1: Because he only needed to go to prison for like two months.
0: I mean, if he assaulted a politician, it'd be more convincing, though.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the anyway... first half
0: of this book is like just a very unlucky sitcom protagonist.
1: <laughs> yeah, this would be funny if it did didn't end the way it did.
0: It's like, it's Jonesy from 16. <laughs> except he's a 60-year-old br- dis- uh, disillusioned <laughs> British Brit. spy. Disillusioned British spy.
1: Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Limus eventually like gets out, he, has, he gets recruited, and they're like, there's a lot of spy speak. They're not exactly direct about what they're going to do, but basically the implication is, yeah, we're going to take you over to the continent, we're going to get you over to East Germany, you're going to write articles, quote unquote. Basically... You're just gonna like sit in a house for a while and tell us everything that you know about this whole like banking system and all that that you, this banking scheme that you got going on with uh, with uh, MI six and someone over in the East German intelligence that we think is one of our moles or one of your guys's
0: moles. We hope they're a mole; otherwise, we're just feeding a lot of important information to someone we're not sure about.
1: Yeah. So Smiley gets he eventually gets flown over and. A little bit of a plot point that people miss, but is actually kind of important when you think about it. Um, when he's over, so his plane goes from, like, Britain to the Netherlands, and then he gets driven over the border into Germany. The person at, uh, at customs is like, hey, there's about two weeks left before you have to renew your passport. Do you want to, like, do that now or what? later? And he's like, no, no, I'll be back in Britain before uh, it's expired. Kind of remember that.
0: Yeah, uh, that sounds like it's going to be important, Mr. Cold War Division of Germany, boy.
1: <laughs> yeah, so he goes over and uh, he starts getting interrogated. Like, it's a series of interrogations along the way, sort of like preliminary stuff. That's where he meets Uh Fiedler. And Fiedler is the main rival to Munt within the whole German intelligence apparatus. They ha- fucking hate each other because Fiedler is. Jewish, and he's a true believer in communism. This is something that he wants to happen, whereas Munt, as stated before, he is a pile of fucking dog shit. Basically, Lemus is to feed this entire idea that, yeah, there was this like bank account scheme that we had going on for one of our agents over there with the implication that that agent is Munt. Because back in uh, Call for the Dead, Munt attempts to kill Smiley and then he manages this daring escape out of Britain back to East Germany, and nobody can figure out how he did it, because he took a plane there, and everybody's like, shouldn't he have been detained by British authorities over at Heathrow? Like, he shouldn't have been able to have gotten out of there. So, of course, there's questions on whether or not Munt is a spy for the Brits.
0: Spoilers: He is. Oh.
1: Yeah. So I'm so just gonna he's like the spy spoil- who
0: came in from the cold.
1: Yeah, so I'm just going to spoil a whole bunch of stuff right now, so... Well, um, yeah,
0: you are d- telling the entire plot. Yeah,
1: I'm telling the entire plot so that we can eventually get to the actual adaptation. So, basically, in a very condensed version of what I can remember... <laughs> um, <the laughs> you enti- mean
0: you didn't reread the entire book in preparation for this?
1: Look, Christmas is not a great time for me. Valid. Um, yeah, so, basically, the... Entire thing is that uh, Fiedler suspects that Munt is a British turncoat, which he is, and Lemus doesn't know this yet, but Brynn actually wants to install Munt at the top so that he can feed them intelligence. Their entire plan is actually to discredit Fiedler, because Fiedler's getting too close to the truth. Now, Liz gets... Liz's entire purpose, like, sadly, she is going to be fridged. Well, both she and Alec are going to be fridged.
0: Great. Yeah, they both die at the end. Great. I had a feeling this was going to go to depressing at the end.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to have a fucking hooray. The entire point, why the circus only needed Alec and Liz to just have met. They didn't need to have fucked at any point. Just met. Was that she gets pulled in. Uh, she gets chosen to go on like a cultural exchange trip over to East Germany. And then she gets pulled aside because there's a bit of a trial of Munt. And her knowing Alec discredits Alec as a witness. Or yeah, discredits Lemus as a witness thus discrediting Fiedler because she took money from... Well, she was kind of like thrust a check from Smiley for a down payment on her apartment, basically. Okay. and that that implies that she was paid off for this. Oh, yeah, and that it's all bunk and um Munt is being framed by Fiedler because everybody knew about this rivalry anyway. So yeah, feeler he probably gets shot in some basement somewhere. And um, miraculously, Levis and Liz get an opportunity to escape and they make their way down the Audubon over to a supposed safe section of the wall because the wall the Berlin wall at this point had just gone up. It didn't have like all the extra security stuff that was gonna be added later on. And they try to climb over and they both get killed. And some people have wondered, like, why would Lemus do that, even though he knows that they're gonna, like, die anyway? And it, a major interpretation that I think luckray endorses is that Lemus, by this point, didn't care about his own survival. He just wanted to get Liz over the border.
0: Yeah, because- and then he fails that, so he definitely doesn't care after that.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Everybody's dead, Jim.
0: Except for the terrible... Former Hitler Youth boy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because this entire book, the major impetus for this was back when Le Carré was still working for MI6, he had been stationed for a bit in Vienna and he re- recalls overhearing... Yeah, he was in Vienna for a bit and then he was over in Germany proper, but he recalls overhearing his neighbors in his new apartment um, talking about how they were glad that he, this new neighbor wasn't Jewish. And he's like, fucking hell
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and then later on when he's over in Germany and he's going like they're, they were still rebuilding at this point and he realizes that all these guys that are part of like the German intelligence apparatus are all fucking former Nazis most of the politicians have, were involved at some level either because they had to or because it was just opportunities whatever and yeah, it made him very cynical about the entire thing, where it's like, and with the new boss, and as the old boss, like, there's no real difference here. Yeah. So, yeah, this was him basically going, like, the system is fucking terrible. And yeah, he's also talking about how, like, spies are kind of terrible people anyway.
0: Oh, what a mess. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Ugh.
1: But this movie, like, this book is really good! <sighs> and the 65 movie is really fucking good! And it's like, of course this would make for a great remake now one of the main reasons why i wanted to do this before like wanted to get this out before the company who made the night manager made their own version is like i don't know what they're gonna do it might be a movie it might be a miniseries my one problem with a miniseries is that i don't think there is really enough content to warrant a full miniseries
0: well a miniseries doesn't have like a miniseries can be two episodes
1: yeah yeah Like, I'm okay if it's two episodes, but I'd be worried if they're going to stretch it to, like, six episodes. Like, anything more than two episodes, I'd be a bit worried. Because, yeah, it's a pretty dense book and that there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's very subtle. It's all in conversations, really.
0: Like, it also depends on the length, because maybe it would be, like, four one-hour episodes with commercials. And they could also probably add in some stuff with George Smiley, because... Like context they want you sort to of know, stuff, and yeah, they'd want you to know that he's not just some random guy they pulled out. They want you to like he's important. He's been involved in this.
1: Yeah, like if they were doing this in a sort of La cinematic universe sort of world building thing, because Smiley does appear in other books. He has his little quartet. The most recent La book kind of actually deals. So a Legacy of Spies. It's basically kind of an internal investigation into the events of the spy who came in from the cold. But Smiley's long dead by this point, so they go to kind of his protege and the guy who took over for him after that, uh, Peter Gwillem who in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is played by Benedict Cumberbatch.
0: I do remember you having a conversation with me, like, explaining how, no, no, he's he looks much better in Tinky Tailor than he does in Sherlock.
1: Yeah, it it's all got to do with the hair and the fact that they put him into some nice suits. Like, nice by 70 standards, but Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not like the powder blue tuxes that were worn at Uncle Marlin and Auntie Barb's wedding.
0: <laughs> yeah. With the full ruffle shirts. Oh, imagine spies wearing those. Yeah. No wonder they had to hide their operations inside a circus.
1: So, yeah. This is a downer. Remember when I was reading it on the ride back from um, Animathon? Yeah, and I ended up, like, damn near throwing the book on the floor because, like, I knew how this was gonna fucking end. Yeah. <laughs> It was still, like, a fucking knife to the fucking gut, like, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So, how would you cast it for the remake?
1: I had been thinking about someone like Aiden Quinn for Lemus, but I think he might be getting a bit too old, and then I was recently looking at, um, I was watching some stuff about uh, Star Trek Discovery, and I realized, oh, fuck, that's Jason Isaac. Jason Isaac could make for a good Lemus. Yeah, that could work. Yeah. And then... I was thinking for Liz, because she's supposed to be, like, yeah, I I basically said kind of dowdy, like, she's a bit on the tallish side, she, like, she's pretty, but, like, nothing sort of, like, outstanding. And I thought, like, (laughs) okay, Claire Foy, she is gorgeous, but I think she can, like, put her into the right clothes, and, yeah, she can look pretty dowdy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she can, like, she played the queen. She actually, she... Isn't she
0: also playing Lizbeth now? um, From... One of the Millennium Trilogy movies.
1: Oh, let me check that. Let's see. Yeah,
0: she is. Oh, wow. That's a kind of a 180.
1: Yeah. She was also Anne Boleyn. So that's another reason why I like her. I like a lot of actresses who played Anne Boleyn.
0: Well, also, Hollywood, let's be real, they have a certain idea of dowdy, which is like, oh, a woman with slightly less makeup. Yeah. What wah. Yeah, like,
1: she's still probably going to look really good, but like... Just put her into, like, the right sweaters, and... She was also in Vampire Academy. Huh.
0: Okay, so then she must have been playing, like, a teacher or something. Yeah,
1: uh, Sonia Karp.
0: I don't know. I don't know anyone from Vampire Academy. I'm just assuming that it takes place at a school.
1: Yeah. I remember, like, seeing... Like, Vampire Academy was one of those books that I think predates Twilight, but got a real big boost from Twilight, or maybe it did come out after Twilight.
0: I think Vampire Academy came out after. I think Vampire Diaries was before. Yeah,
1: Vampire Diaries was way before. $30 million budget. Oh, crap. So, that movie had a $30 million budget. It made back $15.4
0: Oh, girl, no. Well,
1: apparently it was kind of a bad movie. I honestly should read Vampire Academy because I think it would make for an okay TV series.
0: I'm just looking at this poster. It's so... It is bright green yeah. filter over the two girls, and in bright pink it just says they suck at school.
1: Ugh yeah, the marketing. From is the really
0: director powerful. of Mean Girls and the writer of Heathers. Are you sure? Like, are you sure those are the people who made these? I wouldn't be surprised
1: if there was a shit ton of executive meddling.
0: I mean I'd understand You see those movies and it's like, from the creator of Finding Nemo. And it's like, the executive producer who had the least amount to do with the movie.
1: Uh, Yeah. So, anyway. The spy who came in from the cold. I'm not too sure who would direct. But, I definitely want someone who has a good grasp of how to use, um, light and shadow and all that. good artistic director, too. For the sets. Mm -hmm. I want Germans to play the Germans. Because duh, and they're widely available. Like I would almost, oh god, I feel so sorry for Daniel Burl because he might be pigeonholed into playing villainous Germans <laughs> too
0: much. Sorry, Daniel, but you're just too, you're too good at being bad.
1: Yeah, like he's the right combination of like charismatic enough to play a good villain and fairly pretty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Munt in the book is described as kind of good looking, so yeah. Why? I do have to ask, why are so many like straight up Nazi villains portrayed as charming and good looking and all that? <sighs> I, I mean, okay, actually, I, I know the answer. It's because it makes for a more interesting villain, but at a certain point, you don't want to keep throwing, heaping all of this praise onto someone you're also trying to portray negatively.
1: Yeah, like. <sighs> Like there is some appeal to evil and like, okay, yeah, they at least the SS had the best uniforms out there, but like they had Hugo Boss helping them.
0: Yeah. I almost Can we just get like some some grody looking motherfucker to play the evil Hitler youth man, the Nazi man? Yeah. We can they don't have to be we can make up them up. They don't have to be bad looking in real life.
1: Yeah, like, for a moment, I was thinking, like, Mas Miekelsen, like, he is good-looking in a way, but, like, he's kind of, like, an acquired taste sort of good-looking.
0: It could still be Daniel Brühl, just with a lot of aesthetics. Yeah.
1: I don't know. Like, I feel sorry for communist villains, because they tend to be, like, dour-looking.
0: I mean, they can still be stoic, but let's let's get some good-looking communists in here. Yeah. And some butt-ugly Nazis.
1: Yeah. Actually, you know what? Daniel Brühl uh Speedler. There we go. There. Because Fiedler is... He's not a good guy, per se, because he's working for East Germany and the Oh, God. East Germany was a fucked-up place.
0: But he's sympathetic. Yeah, he's sympathetic. And we're meant to take him as sympathetic.
1: Yeah. In a way, like... It's stated that he's one of those guys who's willing to do some pretty brutal shit, but at least he's doing it because he actually believes that what he is doing is good. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's understandable and communism on paper sounds appealing because the ultimate goal is like complete equality throughout the world yeah the problem has always been the implementation of it
0: yeah which always ends up being government corruption ends up taking almost everything for themselves yeah and then people who refuse to comply are just wiped out
1: yeah they disappear and that's the easiest answer I can give. Like,
0: Yeah, that's why we want socialism. It's diet communism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like, there are... Like, I am all for, like, agrarian socialism and, like, some form of anarchism, actually. Like, communities deciding for themselves what they want to do and all that. But yeah, like, this one podcast they listened to yeah it was the bastards podcast they were talking about this uh one guy and the host had a really good point about how all ideologies are going to have some blood on their hands at some point yes because there are going to be those people who take things too far or who are willing to take them to places that they really should not be taken to the road to hell was paved with good intentions
0: yep <sighs> but anyways this oh this keeps getting a downer this isn't a Politis podcast. Also, uh, Lindsay, do you have anything else you want to add to this remake of Crack and Open a Cold One with the Spies?
1: <laughs> um, I would really like to be able to film on some locations, or at least, like, actually, yeah, you could film a lot of this in Germany proper. Like, east, uh, the eastern states of Germany, because, okay, the thing about, uh, there was a big gap in the urban development of West Germany and East Germany during the cold war imagine so um a lot of eastern germany is actually fairly rural and it's got a lot of older buildings and all that really neat stuff plus you know bunkers all over the place so you can have so much fun with that so yeah i would love this to be filmed mostly in germany and good soundtrack and good acting and i think you've got like an
0: oscar please or an emmy if it's a miniseries
1: yeah. This is the stuff that the people who hand out the awards like just eat up.
0: An Oscar, an Emmy, a Golden Globe. A BAFTA.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Enough British actors you're gonna get a fucking BAFTA.
0: BAFTA doesn't sound like a word that you can pronounce with a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> BAFTA? Would you would you like a BAFTA? Yeah. yeah get someone from the south. I want a BAFTA. <laughs> so uh do you have a fucking hooray um my fucking hooray other than the many of books that i was able to gather (laughs) um hmm, what i don't know i'm just i'm in a general oh yeah i'm gonna try and create a small tabletop game for a game jam that is being hosted by riley hopkins awesome um where you have to make a game inspired by a music album and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do anything at first. But I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to make something out of Avril Lavigne's debut album. <laughs> well, a lot of teen angst and identity and punk rock.
1: Yeah, and it does slam. Or slap.
0: It does. Yeah, it slaps. It slams, it slaps, it bops.
1: Yep. Same with her second album. Not Well,
0: see, her, her second album is a lot more about love songs. I mean, there's plenty of love songs on the first one, too. But we, I could also interpret them as, like, a society. Yeah. Like, we live in a society, who, which is very similar to maybe a shitty boyfriend. <laughs> so go away. Yeah. I'm gonna hang out with my friends. I'm gonna wear a skateboard and a tie. Yeah.
1: You can't tell me what to do, man.
0: <laughs> see you later, boy.
1: Yeah. Let's see. What did I do? I... Oh yeah, I finally got to see with dad um, Peter Jackson's uh, World War One project, They Shall Not Grow Old. Huh. So um, for those who are unaware of what Peter Jackson's been doing for the past few years, um, so just before, tw- or yeah, it was in 2014, the uh, Britain's Imperial War Museum, their premier Military Museum approached him and is like, Hey, do you want to do a project for our 1418 project? Like, they're getting a whole bunch of artists to do stuff about the First World War. He's like, Yeah, sure. Like, his grandfather was a veteran of the First World War. Uh, his partner, Fran, she, uh, two of her uncles were killed during the war. So they were very interested, and Peter Jackson's always been interested in the First World War. So. What he got was like their entire archive of film footage from the First World War. And he basically, he and his team down in New Zealand basically remastered the stuff. They colorized it. They fixed the pacing of it because the cameras at the time, you had to crank them. So, like, the frames per second, the FPS, was all over the place. <laughs> you had some that were really slow. You had some that were really fast. Yeah. Kind of crazy like that. And then he brought in lip readers to try and figure out what the guys were saying on camera. And once they kind of figured out what they were saying, he brought in different voice actors from different parts of England to interpret what they were saying. To like actually give voice to them. And then Jackson managed to also get a lot of um, audio recordings of Veterans of the First World War that was taken by the Imperial War Museum in like the 60s and 70s. He cleaned it up and all that and added that so that they could like narrate their stories. And it was just like going through the experiences of British soldiers on the Western Front during World War One from the beginning to the end. And it was oh, wow. super cool. Nice. Yeah. And I would like to see more projects like that. Yeah. And, Less hobbits. Oh, yeah. One of the cool things that he mentioned because like at the end of the movie, there's a 30 minute bit where they go into like the actual like how we did this. And he talks about how they noticed um, that a lot of the guys, when they realized that they were being filmed, they would kind of like stop and stare at the camera <laughs> because their situation was like they knew what film cameras were like they had taken pictures and all that and they knew what a movie was. They probably went to the cinemas fairly regularly at the time. They had just never seen like the actual setup movie camera. Yeah. So there's a lot of like just looking and being like, oh, <laughs> that's cool. Hi, Mom!
0: <laughs> they have the same reaction people do today. It was like, oh, is this a video? Oh, it's a video. It's not a picture. Oh, snap. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so, yeah. That's my fucking hooray.
0: Yay. Yay. All right. And also, Lindsay, where can people find you on the internet?
1: I can be found at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A. And you can get to all my different media bullshits from there. Uh... Tanner, where can people find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart. You can find me on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. And you can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod, which is the letters for Not If I Reboot You First, and it's pronounced
1: N-Y-A-R-F. And you can follow this podcast on Instagram at NotIfIRebootYouFirst, all one word. Um, the hashtag is also N. I-I-R-R-Y-F I I did it! NARF! NARF!
0: And if you guys have any uh, questions, comments, criticisms, critiques, or suggestions for reboots, or if you'd like to be a guest, because we're always accepting guests, we haven't had any yet, but we're trying to figure out scheduling for a few at the moment, so hopefully that'll happen. Actually... I'm pretty sure next week we have a guest on account of Lindsay. You're not available. Yeah. So uh, next week, I don't know what the topic will be, but you'll get to uh, hear some reboots from our friend Duncan. Yay! So, um, I guess so. I guess we don't really have a hint for next time. Yeah. I wasn't okay when I was l- editing the Spider Verse. I realized we didn't really have a segue into ending it. Yeah, we just kind of stopped partway through talking about Power Rangers. Yeah, whoops. But I, th- I think we managed to segue this time.
1: Yeah,
0: and now we'll segue into the outro. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.